This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we follow our journey of investing. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We are talking Hearts and Minds Conference. Yes. Before the conference, we did a couple of episodes on it. Spoke to Rory, the Chief Investment Officer. Yeah. Spoke to Nick Griffin. Yeah. Who pitched the last year. Yes. We're back. The conference has happened and we've got one of the superstar fund managers here to tell us about his pitch. Yeah, very excited to welcome Rory back to the show. Welcome, Rory. Thank you. And also, yes, superstar stock picker uh, Hamish Collette from uh, TDM Growth Partners. Hamish, welcome. I'm violently rejecting the superstar. (laughs) (laughs) But as a massive Equity Mates fan, I'm stoked to be here. (laughs) Stoked to have you. So for those that didn't get to watch the conference or haven't heard of Hamish before, Hamish is co-founder of TDM Growth Partners and serves on the board of directors of ASX-listed company Somnomed and Tyro Payments. He has significant experience in developing fast-growing software and fintech businesses Along with co-founders Tom Cowan, who we have had on the show, and Ben Giz, Hamish has overseen TDM's incredible track record, delivering 20% plus returns over the past 15 years. That's where Superstar comes from. (laughs) (laughs) There's all Tom and Ben. (laughs) And also a reminder, Rory Lucas is Chief Investment Officer for the ASX-listed company Hearts and Minds Investments. Their ticker code is HM1. Hearts and Minds is a unique listed investment company that draws on the investing expertise of the Australian investing community to give back to charitable causes. So welcome to both of you. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. We had the conference on Friday the 13th of November. Friday the 13th, sometimes considered unlucky, but I think it was uh, uh, a good day uh, for the Australian investing community and for HM1. We saw some great stocks pitched. Rory, I want to start with you. How did you find the conference and what were your thoughts on the online format this year? Obviously different to a physical conference that we've had down at the Opera House or down at Melbourne. I watched it in one of the boardrooms in the city of Sydney. It was still fantastic. You were able to hit pause if you needed to listen to something. If you wanted to listen to a pitch a second time, you were able to listen to it a second time, which was fantastic. But yet again, 
the speakers have just delivered HM1 some stocks that ordinary Australian investors just don't get access to. There's telemedicine in China and in the US. There was payments businesses out of China, Target Corp in the US, Mm. all stocks that people will have heard of but have no idea how to be invested in. And 21st century email even was an idea that was pitched, which we may hear a little bit more of today. But it was just a, it was a fantastic day and a fantastic few days because we were able to listen to it more than once. Mm. I think my biggest takeaway from the conference was a lot of the stocks that were pitched were stocks I had heard about, but just the clarity of thought and the insights Mm. that the pitches contained made me think about a lot of these companies in different ways. You know, like Slack, which we'll talk about you know, you read in the media that Microsoft Teams is bigger and all that stuff. And I never really thought about Slack as such a great asset until I heard Hamish speak or Target was another one. You know, you think of Target as like a slow growing bricks and mortar retailer, but my thoughts about it completely changed after the conference. That's the beauty of what HM1 tries to give investors. You know, you you can buy Aussie stocks, you can buy banks, you can buy building materials, you can buy companies that dig iron ore out of the ground. But with HM1, you get access to all of these things. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about Spotify today, Mm -hmm. um, which Hamish pitched last year. Like you say, stocks that we've all heard of, but people just don't realise that they can be invested in them and and get the returns that we've been getting in them. Like Tesla, another example, obviously, last Mm year. You know, our shareholders got like a hundreds of percent return by being invested in a company that that makes 500,000 cars a year. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we're only a few weeks since the the conference, but uh, are you happy with the performance so far? Yeah, there's there's most of the stocks are up. A couple of them have come back a little bit, but it's we're not even one month from the conference. So I'd like to think of those as sort of random stock price moves, mm. the, the, those ones. But generally, they're pretty good. There's been a bit of a rotation out of growth stocks recently in the market as people sort of think that we're going to return to normal. I'm not so convinced, especially having listened to the speakers, things are going to return to how they were. And in my update that I wrote last week, I spoke a bit about that and about how the habits that people have developed in the last 12 months through COVID may well endure. We're realising that life is actually better with a lot of these changes. I wrote about how I was at a pub on the North Shore of Sydney last weekend and I was able to tap my phone and the menu pops up on my phone and I was able to order from the comfort of my table and glass of wine. I'm happy to do that going forward. (laughs) Table service, not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if people want to read more of Rory's thoughts, they can jump on the Hearts and Minds website, heartsandmindsinvestments.com.au and sign up for his weekly newsletter. Rory, i got to say, there may have been some random stock price movements, but one that wasn't random. Since we first interviewed you, the Hearts and Minds share price is up about 14 or 15%. We're going to be labelling that the equity mates bump (laughs) (laughs) and we'll be quoting all of that. Happy with that. (laughs) Hamish, I want to turn to you. You pitched Spotify last year and you came back and pitched the stock this year, Slack. Before we get into the companies, especially Slack and why you pitched it, I would be interested to hear a bit about your background. Bryce talked about the incredible growth that TDM has seen. So can you tell us a bit about your story to where you are today? Big My, question, I know. Specific, <laughs> specific to investing? Wherever you want to take it. But right. yeah, more, more your investing journey. I'll, I'll try to give you the abridged version of uh, the investing story. And, and it started probably when I was early teens. My mum worked in mining companies. My dad was always involved in a range of business-related things. And I can't remember how, but I stumbled across a book called One Up on Wall Street 
by Peter Lynch. And it was a book, I think he specifically wrote it for teenagers that were interested in investing. And he was a great investor himself. And that's what really sparked the interest in investing specifically for me. Then read the Warren Buffett way from there. And fortunately, I grew up, um, my now business partner, Tom Cowan, we've been made since we were three years old. And we met the third of us, Ben Giz, when we were 18, first day of university. So you had kind of three little investment nerds that <laughs> all, all had that in common. And uh, I think there was there was always this idea, how good would it be to have our own little investment firm, have a little bit of money and invest in great companies and do the Warren and Charlie thing. And it all became a reality kind of 2005 to 2010. We all kind of came together. And the rest of history, we're 15 years into what we hope is many decades more of the journey ahead. Yeah, pretty inspiring story. I think it, a lot of people in finance <laughs> have the small dream, not naming names, uh, <laughs> to start their own thing one day. So yeah, it's inspiring. So I guess the next question is turning attention to hearts and minds. Pretty phenomenal group of core managers. Why is it important to you to be involved in hearts and minds and, and the HM1 conference? I mean, we all, the whole team at TDM just believes hearts and minds is one of the most genius ideas that anyone could have come up with. To leverage the collective IP of some of the best investors in the country for the benefit of society and specifically medical research, where you've got a win-win between all of those investors in HM1 who are getting great returns and all the beneficiary medical research organisations that are getting the grants. It's just a brilliant idea. It's the definition of a win-win and it's something that we're incredibly passionate about. Having said that, as or certainly speaking for myself as a massively shy introvert, <laughs> uh, we, we didn't embrace the idea of uh, getting involved in Sone and HM1 early on at its first inception because the idea of getting in front of a bunch of people and pitching a stock was not the kind of thing that we did. <laughs> but we saw the light and kind of sucked it up and thought this is the right thing to do. And we've never looked back, loved it ever since, and we just want to get more involved. When's Tom going to pitch? I know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we're working on get, get either of those to pick or get them to do it together, Tom and Ben. But uh, we've also got a bunch of other team members that we think would knock it out of the park. So I think we've got a bit of a stable of people that could do it. Yeah, Ed, Ed Cowan pitching in 2021. That's what I want to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he is the media darling, so we should probably get him to do it. One thing that I particularly admire about TDM is just how long-term you guys are in your approach and not just in terms of how long you hold a position, but how long you take to research it and do your due diligence and make sure that it is a good investment. Then, you know, Rory comes along, asks you to pitch and you have to turn all of that work, all of that due diligence into a 10-minute presentation. What's that process like? And I find it hard. <laughs> I find it so hard at TDM. It's almost like we love the companies we invest in like they're our kids. And so, you know, you asked me about my daughter and, and how much I love her. I could talk your ear off for, for hours and it's like that with our portfolio companies. And so I never feel like with, you know, with Spotify last year or Slack this year, I never feel like I can do it justice in 10 minutes. So it is a big challenge and, you know, trying to make it engaging, you know, entertaining as well as trying to get across the salient points is not an easy process. Having said that, it's a really, really important skill. It's something we do, you know, we've got interns that come through TDM and we do a lot of work with Sydney University with their finance students. And one of the things that I try to bang home is the skill of being able to nail an investment pitch, whether it's 
30 seconds, three minutes, 10 minutes is such an important skill. And just look at Buffett. Like one of the reasons he has been so successful is his ability to communicate and cut through to both the best investors in the world and people that know nothing about investing. And that's one of the things I love about what you guys do. You make it so accessible to people. Well, it was one of the more entertaining pitches, so certainly got a lot out of it. So let's turn our attention to the pitch. You pitched the American software firm Slack. So for those who are unfamiliar with it, haven't used or heard of it before, are you able to tell us a little bit about the company and perhaps key points about your investment thesis? Yep, sure thing. So in terms of what it does, Slack, if you haven't used it before, it's a, a business software tool that's a channel-based messaging platform. So what does that mean? It allows people within organizations to communicate together, to collaborate, to get projects done, to allow teams to work more efficiently, which was really important before COVID and, and kind of mass adoption of remote working happened, but has only become more important. And, and probably the most important thing about the insight that we had was that that email sucks. And email, <laughs> to put it to a ring, like e email has been the way of communicating within business for, you know, a couple of decades. And it's inefficient, it's not secure, and it doesn't foster real collaboration between teams and within organisations. And a number of software organisations have been trying to solve that problem with better technology. And Slack was the one that nailed the product market fit, that really nailed what that solution should look like, what the functionality and features should be. And that resulted in it growing from zero to a billion dollars of revenue in you know five or six years. Quite incredible. So, I mean, in short, it, it basically replaces email within an organization. I have to ask, does, I'm assuming TDM use it internally? Yeah, well, <laughs> we use it for, like, and again, one of the great learnings from Peter Lynch was that the best way to come up with good investment ideas is with your own personal experience. Yeah. So we were Slack users for three years and we used it for free. We were heavy users for three years with the whole team using it for free, didn't pay them a cent until more recently where kind of the usage just went way up and we eventually had to pay them a very small amount of money. But still, we adopted it within TDM and the efficiencies that it brings is quite significant. Did you test it against, you mentioned the it nailed market fit, did you test it against its competitors internally or was that sort of a broader research process? Both. So at the time, I'd say, I mean, we're a Microsoft organisation so, and our, our leaning is towards standardization on Microsoft. I mean, generally that's what we've done. And over the years, Microsoft Teams in recent years has improved, but Slack was so vastly superior for that use case mm. than anything else we could find. I want to ask you about that because when I saw that you pitched Slack, it was really interesting to me. Slack was one of those companies when it IPO'd was really interesting. Microsoft Teams then sort of, you know, I think it was, it was created, you know, it was created well after Slack. Its growth trajectory was incredible and it, you know, just got so many users because people already have Microsoft Office and all of that stuff. Mm. And Slack kind of fell off my radar after that. Yep. How do you think about a platform like Slack trying to disrupt an incumbent that is, you know, quite sticky because of all their other products? As I said in the pitch, we we love those setups. We love the David and Goliath situations. It was the same as Spotify going up against Amazon and Google and whatnot. The reason we love those situations is because 
the little guy often gets underestimated and that's what was happening and I think that's the primary reason why Slack was so cheap because Microsoft is a beast and they have executed exceptionally well in recent years and they've executed exceptionally well with Teams as well. I mean, that is a good product. We actually use it at TDM and we're a good example, I think, with a proprietary, we've done a bunch of proprietary research where we've surveyed the world's top CIOs at some of the biggest companies in the world, but we've also surveyed thousands of both Microsoft Teams and Slack users. And what we found was that for those organizations and for those teams that want to use the best of breed product, they use Slack. And like TDM, we are a big Microsoft customer, but we also use Slack because we want best of breed for that use case. We also use Zoom because we want best of breed for that use case. Every time I open up my computer, Microsoft Teams loads up and we use aspects of it, but we still want best of breed in those other areas. Mm. A lot of people we speak to mention the incredible amount of due diligence that you guys do at TDM when it goes into research for these stocks. Did you literally survey thousands of people? We said, yeah, <laughs> thousands of people, which... Uh, I mean, it's just yeah, incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's incredible that we live in a, a day and age where we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mm-hmm. use SurveyMonkey quite extensively for that kind of thing. And it costs a bit of money, but it's amazing that we actually have the software tools and the ability to do something like that. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. It just makes me think, imagine all this research you do on the companies that then don't make the portfolio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's part and parcel what we do. We only own, you know, between six or seven and 15 companies, it requires a hell of a lot of patience, Mm. a lot of kissing frogs and 90 whatever percent of the time, the stocks don't make the portfolio. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Mm. There's been a bit of news recently about Slack. Salesforce, the the massive US software company, has uh, put a takeover offer on the table. The stock is up, I think, about 65% since you pitched it on the 13th of November. How are you thinking about that piece of news and, you know, Slack going forward? I'm sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is surprising because most investors would be pretty happy if their stock was up that much. Yeah, we're, we're pretty annoyed. <laughs> we're really annoyed. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, clearly. And I think the transaction makes a hell of a lot of sense. I actually didn't think... Uh, we thought Salesforce was such an obvious acquirer of the company but we didn't think that Salesforce would necessarily be willing to to pay the price. Mm. But I take my hat off to Benny off the guy, the CEO of Salesforce. He's a visionary. He is a beast in the software world, and I think it's it makes a hell of a lot of sense. I think they got it for a very good price, and I think it's going to be very successful in their ownership. We should say that uh, in your pitch, you specifically called out Salesforce as a potential acquirer. So our theory is that Benioff was actually watching your pitch and was like, hey, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what I, think, I heard. I think, I think he's one of my three followers yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> Hamish, can you just elaborate on why you were annoyed? I think for a lot of people listening, if they were to be in a, in a company and then it gets a takeover and it jumps 70%, it'd be the best news ever. Can you perhaps elaborate on, on why it's not good news? Yeah, that, that's a fair point. I probably should elaborate on that. Which is, um, I mean, it's nice to get those returns in the short term but I mean, we're in the business of investing in businesses that we think can compound for 5, 10, 15 years. And, and businesses like Slack just don't come across at this very often. Mm-hmm. And we genuinely believe that this was a business delivering transformational innovation to the way people work. 
and we're not looking back. And and what happens in those situations, we believe, is for a company like Slack, which we believe is the clear leader and will own that space, its ability to continue to compound at very high rates for 10 or 15 years ahead, that's what we're playing for. So if I, I mean, I'm not a cricketer, but to use a cricketing analogy, it's a, it was a nice single, like hit it in the middle of the bat, but that's all it was for us. Mm. Um, we put a hell of a lot of work into it, but you know, we're in the business of hitting sixes. Mm. Yeah, mm. Jeez, that's the business we need to get into. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm interested on that thesis around, you know, you, you sort of had this, you were projecting sort of 10 years out and you thought it was going to compound in incredible rates of return. And yet at the same time, you were saying in your due diligence, you barely gave them a cent when you were using the product. Um, what did you see in the company and what do you think Salesforce saw in the company that sort of gives you that idea that in 10 years, they can be so much bigger? Yeah, so probably two slightly different things, but there is obviously overlap. What we saw was a vastly under-monetized asset that we believed was going to own that collaboration space, not only within organisations, but between organisations over time. So to use the example of us not paying for three years, over 80% of Slack's customers use the product for free. And it is the nervous system of the organisation. I mean, its users are using it for actively for hours every day. It is becomes absolutely integral. And once you're on Slack and you've committed to it, you just don't move, move off. But over 80% of customers do not pay. They've got an awesome track record of converting free users to paid over time. So they get you wetted on the product and then over time, they will upsell you to premium tiers for some customers. So there's a huge monetization opportunity that we saw over time. And we also believe that their ability to deliver more products, more value to customers over time just wasn't being priced into the stock at all. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm interested, you mentioned you're in the business of sort of the compounding over 10, 15 years, but in the same breath, you mentioned in your pitch that this is a company that is likely to be acquired. There are five sort of potential acquisition businesses out there. Where were you expecting it to be sort of a target in its in its lifespan or you, the lifespan in which you would invest? In our minds, it really hinged on what the founders wanted to do. So right. Stuart Butterfield and Cal Henderson, that's what you never really know. So there's this has happened to us a bunch of times and sometimes the businesses stay standalone if they keep executing well and the founders want to continue to 
keep going, then they stay standalone. What you can't account for is if the founders either see a better future for the company with the acquirer or if, I mean, being a public company CEO, especially in the US, is hard. Yeah. Uh, it's not life for anyone and we've been through that a, a bunch of times where CEO, we, you know, the CEOs, when we speak to them after an announcement like this, are always taken aback by our response, which is, why'd you do it? We're sad. This mm. is really disappointing. Mm. And they're expecting us to be really happy because <laughs> the share price has gone up. <laughs> and, you know, often they just say, look, it's rough. I want to spend time with my family or yeah. whatever it may be. So, and which is completely understandable. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of this massive jump in share price, while Hamish may be lamenting the lost opportunity, you know, the long-term opportunity, Rory, I imagine you're pretty happy because the structure of the HM1 portfolio is the conference stocks are only held for 12 months. So having one of the conference stocks be acquired in that time at a big premium to its share price probably makes you smile. Absolutely. Absolutely. 70% return, 65% return <laughs> in three weeks. Yeah, that's fantastic. But like Hamish said, yeah, and I hear the disappointment in his voice. Yeah, Like our conference stocks, to use the cricket analogy again, yeah, we're off the mark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with a with a one or a two. Yeah, it's twelve months to go on the conference stocks, and we've also got the core stocks. The more winners that we have, the better for shareholders because there's always going to be something that goes wrong. Yeah, mm. but even though they're all high conviction ideas, something yeah comes out of left field. Yeah, but no, ecstatic with it. I'm interested to know the portfolio management. So once Hamish pitches the stock, you add it to the portfolio, and then you and Hamish talk together around that Slack position over the course of the year. When Salesforce announced the acquisition, the share price obviously pops. Do you guys go, well, this acquisition might not go through, let's sell now, or do you want to hold it for the 12 months? What was that conversation like between the two of you? Yeah, it's exactly that. I reach out to Hamish or any of the other managers when there's news on a stock and does this change your thesis? Do you want to hold it? We go through the options. At the end of the day, it's up to our fund managers to decide which option to take. I let them know the options. And in this case, it's a case of, are you nervous that the deal won't go through or do you think this is just going to play out and therefore there's likely to be no returns for the next 11 and a half months. And so we go from there and it's sort of up to Hamish and, and we're still working that out, what we're going to do with this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if the deal's fully done, but it feels like it's a done deal, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've been waiting through all the documentation. It feels like a done deal. Mm. And, um, I mean, there's a $900 million break fee and uh, oh, really? you know, Stuart, yeah. the founder, it sounds like he, he wants wants it to go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I suspect it's a done deal. Yeah, it's annoying that, like, Microsoft didn't come in and start a bidding war or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we always thought, uh, I mean, I think Microsoft would love to own it, but I think there'd be antitrust issues true, all true. over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for any equity mates out there that are interested in seeing Hamish pitch, you can head to the TDM Growth Partners website where both his Spotify pitch and his Slack pitch are posted there. Would highly recommend them. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to turn to the core part of the HM1 portfolio because TDM is a core portfolio manager as well. Maybe Rory, just as a reminder for people who haven't heard our earlier episodes, do you want to just remind people how the conference stocks in the core portfolio work together for HM1? So we've got two sets of managers. Fortunately, Hamish is um, in both sets, but we've got six core portfolio managers, which manage 65% of the portfolio between them. And then the 35% remaining is allocated to the conference stocks, which rolls each 12 months. So our six core managers are uh, Caledonia, Cooper Investors, Magellan, Regal, 
Paradise and TDM Growth Partners. They each give us their three highest conviction stock ideas, which we manage. And then as we've seen the conference stocks, it's one idea from each of those managers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, it's a superstar lineup of core managers. Sure is. Pretty impressive. And the other important thing to note is with the core portfolio, it's not a 12-month time horizon, is it? You exactly. Can, yeah. Exactly. They can hold them for as long as they like. We generally say we expect it to be three to five years, but you know, listening to Hamish talk, if it's a 10-year plan, <laughs> we're happy with a 10-year plan. Listening um, to Hamish talk, it might be a 25-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of our highest uh, conviction investments we've owned for over 15 years. Wow. So it's wow. getting up there. Uh, it's gone from, it's a company called Mineral Resources. I think when it IPO'd, it was 90 cents and uh, in pad of, I don't know, $10 million or less. And now it's a $1 billion EBITDA business and $6 billion market cap. So <laughs> and it's still got runway. Yeah, and it pays a dividend. And uh, yeah, it's still got, we think uh, that billion dollars of EBITDA will go to two or more wow. in the coming years. Wow. So I guess the, the natural question is, is that one of your high conviction stocks in the HM1 portfolio? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, as I said, we've owned it the entire time. We're incredibly high conviction. And it is, it's in the mining services sector. Like You couldn't find a tougher sector to operate in. But in terms of innovation, it is one of the greatest innovation stories in our country that I've ever known. So I just want to make a note that you listen to Hamish talk about mineral resources there and then you watch his pitch at the conference last year and mineral resources didn't even get the first billing. <laughs> he mentioned it, but only as a stock that he didn't pitch. So maybe the question is, what stock took top billing from Mineral Resources last year? <laughs> we're really torn between Spotify and Mineral Resources yeah. at the time. And fortunately, we got the best of both worlds in that Emma chose to pitch Mineral Resources. She did an absolute cracking job. The pitch was not only awesome in terms of the actual investment pitch, but I was in hysterics the entire time. So she ended up doing what would have been a much better job than we would have done. And yeah, we got to do Spotify, which was a lot of fun. And is Spotify still high conviction for you? I mean, we're in the podcast game. We can sort of see where it's going, but uh, where does it sort of sit on your radar now? Yeah, well, I, they're the inevitable leader of audio globally, mm -hmm. and audio is a massively growing market, as we're seeing not only with music, but with podcasts, audio books, you name it. We're at the early stages. You know, it's a $60 billion market cap business now, and when it gets to that point and the fly will start spinning as fast as it is for that business, we think it's game over. So it's got a hell of a lot of momentum. They're executing awesome yeah. and we still own and we're excited about it. I mean, even the th thing that they do at the end of, well, they're doing it right now, the sort of your yearly wrap where yeah. it tells you how many podcasts you've listened to, what, how many new genres, and then people sort of share that. And it's just a, a great marketing tool that they've developed to spread the word of Spotify. Yeah, I mean, the virality of that, feature in and of itself is genius and, and it just really shows how far ahead they are if you compare to Apple Music, the mm. major, the other major competitor. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's not offend Apple here. <laughs> if they want to come on and defend it, by yeah, all means. It's got room for improvement, we'll say. <laughs> So yeah, it's pretty cool the kind of stuff they're coming out with and it's just, it keeps coming. Mm. So I'm sensing a bit of a theme with those two pitches, Slack and Spotify. The 
David v Goliath, you know, the Slack v the Microsoft, the Spotify v the Apple. You you like picking the small guy fighting a big guy. Yeah, well, probably that dates back to our childhood. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I think we've always been kind of the, the small guy mindset. And, and when, like, when we started our TDM, we invested exactly the same way as we invested now, but we started with just this tiny amount of money. <laughs> uh, and we used to get the question, like, how could you actually compound when the, uh, you're competing, in inverted commas, against you know, big US hedge funds and perpetuals and all these types of things. So I think we always had a natural leaning towards backing uh, the small guy, but it really comes down to this idea that at the end of the day, in pretty much every business and every industry, customer experience wins, period. Mm. As simple as that sounds, we live in a world where that is more true than ever. And to deliver the best customer experience, we believe in most cases, you have to be solely focused on that customer experience. So Yes, large conglomerate type businesses like Microsoft and Amazon can still exist and they can still be successful. But in major category like audio, Spotify being an example, we believe it takes complete focus on audio as your only mission to deliver the best customer experience. And to give it a plug, one of the wonderful things they've done this year is adding video in-app to podcasts, just yeah. as an example of a feature, which is awesome and would love to see you guys adopt. <laughs> <laughs> Probably driven by the Joe Rogan deal, to be honest. That, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, huge amount of money. But yeah, I think if you look at how YouTube do recommendations and that user experience and you compare it to how, where audio is now, it's, it's nothing like YouTube, but mm. you can see Spotify certainly going down that route. For sure. Which is good to see for us anyway mm. as podcasters. Yeah. yeah, if TDM wants to get some exposure to the podcasting space, <laughs> happy for you to start your due diligence now on us. <laughs> that is a marriage made no, in heaven. We should, we should say TDM actually does have some exposure to the podcast space. <laughs> and if you want to listen to Ed Cowan's podcast, Scaling Up, available on Spotify, I believe. So Hamish, uh, mineral, mineral Resources and Spotify, a couple of the core positions. Are there any others? Another one that we're, we're high conviction on is Tyro Payments, where I'm a director on the board of that company. It's a wonderful business. We feel like the best years are just ahead of that. We're passionate about the SME, the small business owner in Australia, and backing small business owners. And that's what Tyro is all about. It's built this wonderful software-led payments platform. And that is our way of building into really offering more value-added services for small business in Australia and giving them a better experience than the big four banks, quite frankly, mm. are giving, have given them for the decades that have gone past. Yeah, nice. One quick question, a little bit off topic, but I, I think something that TDM is particularly interested in is the teams for companies. And uh, one really important team is the board, obviously. Your role as a board member of Tyro how do you see yourself as a board member? Like, what do you think best practice for board members are? And probably most importantly, as retail investors like Bryce and I and like most of the Equity Mates community, what should we look for in, in a board member? Like, what's a red flag? What's a positive sign? We're really passionate about this. And the way you led the question is exactly how we see it. We see it as a team. The board is a team. And each board member 
has a different role, hopefully brings different skill sets, different personal characteristics, and it's how that team comes together in our experience that really defines the quality of the board. So you actually can't really look at each individual and make an assessment. It's all about how that team operates together. So one of the things that we like to see, but isn't necessarily definitive of good or bad, but consistency of a board working together as a team. You think about the great teams in sport over the years, there's a real consistency of them playing together. So that's like one of the things that we would look for in a board. And one of the other things that we're very, very passionate about is ownership. And that's probably the easiest thing to diagnose from a retail investor's perspective. How many shares does each director own? That is critical to really assessing the alignment between you and that director. Turning back to the conference, let's assume that Slack gets acquired. What do you do there, Rory? Does that position sit in cash or for people holding HM1, do you put a second conference on just featuring Hamish? (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. (laughs) Actually, you know what? If you wanted to, we'd be happy to host it. (laughs) We would like to do that, um, especially with Hamish. Um, For the first nine months of the 12 months, what we generally do when the fund manager decides to exit the position is that we reallocate those proceeds across the other conference stocks. And in that, I actually speak with each of the managers and find out whether they are buyers of those stocks at that time, because there's been some share price moves. Sometimes the share price has fallen, sometimes the share price has run hard. And it's interesting to see the managers that whether or not they're ongoing buyers at at the market price. Sometimes they're not even though the price has fallen. And, and to me, that's an indication of what their conviction is. You know, we, we see plenty of people, the, the stock's up 15%. I said, would you like to, do you think we should buy some more now? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you hear it in their voice. And, and this is a conviction fund and to see the conviction in the managers at that time. So this one is, this has set a record for what's likely going to be the the quickest liquidation. <laughs> We're still looking at alternatives. Yep. As we've said, Hamish is a or TDM are a core manager as well. So we're looking at alternatives. The likely outcome is at the moment is that the Slack proceeds will be redistributed across the other conference stocks. Yeah, yeah. A record for the quickest, most disappointing liquidation. (laughs) (laughs) So I just think we should put this in context. What Spotify was up about 80% last year when it was in the HM1 portfolio, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, about that. And you're on track for about 70% in the space of a month. So what, should we expect, you know, a, a week next time, 70% in a week? <laughs> I think Spotify is up another 30 or yeah. something percent yeah. uh, in the last month or so too. So you transferred it from the conference stocks to the core stocks, so HM1 unit holders captured that as well? Yeah, so that, yeah. Was, that was a great example of a, of a discussion that Hamish and I had about the conviction of the stocks and if Spotify being a core and a conference manager, if, if the conviction is still high and there's so much more to play out, which as you can see, Hamish still believes, we were able to move that stock into our core portfolio and remove one of the other core stocks. I'm predicting that uh, in 2021, whatever stock you pitch at the conference will have the Hamish Collette bump where <laughs> everyone will say, well, he's nailed it the last two years, let's buy. <laughs> That's where it all comes undone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the myth has blown up. Yeah. <laughs> it's an incredible track record and it's incredible what both of you guys do through this HM1 fund and, you know, where. We're just happy we get to speak to both of you and, you know, learn more about it. And I think our listeners are really enjoying, well, they definitely enjoyed the conference and um, 
enjoying hearing from the managers. So Hamish, you did say you were a, a shy introvert, but are you on Twitter or anything where our audience can follow you or is it just uh, through the TDM website? <laughs> As I said, I, I am on Twitter, but my Twitter following is uh, probably confined to my family and TDM <laughs> no. for TV. So, no, I am on Twitter and LinkedIn and yeah, they're probably the two social outlets to check out what I'm kind of pushing out a lot of which is TDM scaling up podcast uh, <laughs> yeah. promos. Nice. <laughs> you do also write for the insights on the TDM website. So I would recommend the Equity Mates community checking that out as well. There's some fantastic stuff there about the network effect and all sorts of things. So head over there and you can find more of what Hamish and the TDM guys are thinking about. Yeah. And watch those two stock pitches. Yes. Yeah. And just a reminder, if you want to read Rory's newsletter about the HM1 fund, uh, go to heartsandmindsinvestments.com.au. Hamish, we like to finish with the final three questions. Rory, we've already asked you when we interviewed you. So if people want to hear Rory's answers, they can go and check out his interview. But Hamish, we'll ask you these three questions. The first one is, do you have any books that you consider must read? Investing books or general life books? Uh, we say investing or otherwise. I'll, I'll stick to investing. Otherwise, the list will probably no, be too long. Actually, give us, <laughs> give us the more. <laughs> I, I, the, the, the books that came to mind, I've got to start with the three most fundamental books that shaped me as an investor was one, one up on Wall Street, Peter Lynch, The Warren Buffett Way, and Built to Last, which was the first of the Jim Collins books that led to Good to Great. And, and that, it was really Jim Collins that shaped so much of how we think about business and investing. Mm. Nice one. Second question, what is your go-to source for investing information? And I might put a little bit of a tedium twist on this, given that you guys are probably best in class in terms of due diligence for companies. What's your go-to source for information about companies? Maybe a little bit of a boring answer, but it actually hasn't changed since I was a teenager. Prospectuses and annual reports. Yeah, okay. That's, That's my go-to. Yeah. Uh, I actually never read broker reports, basically. I rarely read the newspaper. I like really understanding the company from the company's eyes. Yeah. That's great. And it's great news that that's something that's accessible for retail investors mm. as well. If you told us it was private Zoom calls with the CEO. <laughs> Bloomberg <laughs> Terminal. Yeah. <laughs> I should say one of the wonderful things that's happened in the last five years is getting access to CEOs and CFOs and, and whoever from the business via podcasts. Mm. Uh, we still have those one-on-one -on -one conversations, but you don't feel like you need to because you can you know, almost build these intimate relationships with CEOs just by listening to their podcasts and, and hearing how they think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One other information source that I think is underutilized, but I'm interested to know your thoughts on it. What do you think about earnings calls where analysts are asking questions to the company's management? I love earnings calls. Yeah. I listen to as many as I can. It's only confined to the hours in the day. I just find I learn so much. Whether it's businesses that we're invested in or not invested in, in industries that we're interested in or not interested in, I just like consuming all of that kind of experience that different leadership teams are having in the world. Yeah. Mm. And so one of, one of the things that we've done to make that more accessible to people, instead of having to go to an individual company website and um, you know, listen it on one times, you can go to uh, a podcast that we've put together called Earnings Season, where we basically compile as many earnings calls as you can in the one place. You can listen to it more efficiently. You can press pause and come back to it. And that's just something we just put out there for free. Yeah, nice. So we said, uh, you know, we could help them get exposure to the podcast space. Turns out they already have two podcasts. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Scaling up and earning seasons, two good TDM podcasts. So the final question, Hamish, that we like to end these interviews with 
if you think back to your younger self, you know, when you're just getting interested in investing as a teenager reading One Up on Wall Street, what advice would you have for your younger self? Specific to investing, this is the advice I give to younger people that are interested in investing. So I guess I'd give it to myself, which is find out who you are as an investor. Uh, there's no one way and there are so many different forms of investing. So try to understand what your strengths are, what your interests are, go towards your passions. Some people that could be early stage, could be late stage, could be different industries, it could be a whole range of things. So we're really passionate about how we do things at TDM and it works for us and it works for what the kind of things we're good at, but it's not the only way to compound capital. So that that's probably the advice. The only other thing I'd say is just to get in the arena. There's no substitute for putting, no matter how much money you have, putting some capital at risk, invest your own money at as early a stage as you can, because that's where you find out about investing. See how you cope with a stock going down 50%, mm. that kind of stuff tests your conviction and that kind of where the true richness of investing learning is. Well, Hamish, we just submitted a first draft for our book, and I think that advice needs to go on the front page. <laughs> <laughs> you okay with that? Yeah. Good. No <laughs> Firstly, Rory, thank you again for your time. I think fifth episode you're in now, and uh, you know it's been an awesome journey capturing, I guess, the beginnings and understanding of HM1 all the way through to the 2020 stock pitches. So it's been awesome. Thank you. Loving being here. Hopefully you'll ask me back. Certainly will, if you ask us to the conference again next year. <laughs> Done. <laughs> and Hamish, great to have you in the studio. I think hearing everything that you're doing at TDM and you know a bit of insight into your pitch was phenomenal and our audience certainly would have got a lot of value from it. But also thank you for your time to do the conference as well. I know a lot of our audience did manage to watch that and would have got a lot out of it. So a big thanks. I'm really glad that's the case and love being on the uh, the show with you. And thanks so much for having me. Thank nice you. One. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.